Augustine is said to have commented about the Gospel of John that it is deep enough for an elephant to swim and shallow enough for a child not to drown. I happen to think whether he said that or not, whoever said that, it was a, a brilliant summary, a brilliant statement, a comment on uh, this gospel. When I'm dealing with a new believer or someone who has not read the Bible and, and is wanting to start reading the Bible and, and they say, where do I start? More often than not, I will send them to the Gospel of John. The reason is because in that Gospel, they will see Jesus, they will see the Gospel clearly presented, they will cope with the person of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And they'll find some insights that, uh, about Jesus that, that they won't find even in some of the other Gospels. At the same time, when I teach theology, again and again, we go to the Gospel of John, to the teachings of Jesus, and, and look at these uh, amazing doctrines that are uh, in this gospel that come from his teaching. But in addition to that, I don't believe I've ever done a funeral where I haven't used scripture and sometimes several scriptures from the gospel of John for several reasons. One is because of the clarity of the gospel there, but the other is because of the amazing, comforting words that we see in this uh, gospel. Martin Luther said this, should a tyrant succeed in destroying the Holy Scriptures and only a single copy of the epistle to the Romans and the gospel according to John escape him, Christianity would be saved. Now we spend a lot of time in Romans, and here we are now in the gospel of John. And in case you feel like, well, if John, come on, that's too familiar for some of you who've been Christians for a while. I've been through John, I know John. Listen to what Kent Hughes says about that. The person who studies the Gospel of John seriously will find that each time she or he returns to it, Christ will be a little bigger. That's my prayer for me and for us as we enter into this Advent series that will take us down through verse 14. But then as we go into 2018, that's right, I said it, 2018, as we go into next year, we will continue on 
in the Gospel of John. And so my prayer is that next year, when we get to Advent, I don't know if we'll be done or not, but we won't do an Advent series in in John next year. But my prayer is that Jesus, for every one of us, this time next year, will be bigger than he is today. And so, as we go into this gospel, we see the other gospels that that have uh, some of the, the facts of the birth of Jesus and the gospel of John really tells us the meaning of the birth of Jesus. So let's read in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made uh, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, will you now help us to remove ourselves from the busyness of this season that is probably only going to get busier? And to hear from you, to hear from your word, will you cause your Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear your word and hearts to understand your word and hearts that desire relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask for this in Jesus' name, amen. So he begins with the word, the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, John Piper says this, that here what took John three years of being with Jesus to discover he wants us to discover in three verses. And I think that's probably a good summary here in terms of what this is is covering. And yet if you look at it at first, you say, well, I I don't get it at all. Why does it say the word? And more importantly, who is the word. Well, I want us to fast forward to uh, 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock on the 24th of December here in this room. 
that's when we are going to look at verse 14, which is this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That identifies the Word as Jesus. This is how we know the Word is Jesus from that future identification. But at first glance, as we think about it, if I say the Word of God, most believers are going to immediately say, oh, you're talking about the Bible. That's, that's the right terminology. That is the term we use. And yet here, it's talking about the person of Christ. So what's the deal? Well, let me give you a little background uh, because the, the, the Greek word there, logos, uh, John takes, and he is actually taking that back from philosophers and from uh, the Jews of that day. And he is, as it were, wrenching it out of their hands and saying, you're using this word, logos, word, but I'm going to give you the correct meaning for this. Let me explain. For the philosophers, they had for centuries, uh, ever since a man named Heraclitus, 500 years before Jesus' birth, they came up with a view that the logos was the controlling factor in the universe. I know this is confusing, but that's philosophers for you, okay? But uh, they, they would say that was the controlling factor in the universe, this thing called the, the logos. And so philosopher after philosopher would take that and they would develop it and they would they would move it on, and some made it more personal in terms of relating it to God, and others made it uh, much less personal. But it went down through Plato, Socrates, the Stoics. But it's said that Plato, 300 years before Jesus, once gathered a small group of philosophers, because that's what they do. They gather and they talk, Okay. And so he gathered his small group of, of philosophers and said this to them. It may be that someday there will come forth from God a word, a logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. John is saying, indeed, Plato, that's exactly what he has done. And so this word that meant something to them when they would see it uh, here in the gospel, they would immediately relate it to that view of, okay, he's talking about that which holds the universe together. And John would then identify him and say, that which holds the universe together is none other than Jesus Christ. And so he uses that particular word. Now, for the Jew, 
the word logos had meaning as well. They understood what the word of God did. When God speaks, what happens? Whatever he says to happen, happens. God says, let there be light, and what happens? There's light. He doesn't have to put his hands on it. He speaks by the word of his power. Creation takes place. And the Jews understood that. The Jews understood that God was the one that said, I will not let my word return to me void. And now Jesus is identified as that word. So if you want to know somebody, you see somebody and you you want to get to know them, the best way to get to know them is is not just to study them from a distance, to look at them and, and in, in some kind of impersonal way to study them. The best way to get to know them is to, to ask them or let them tell you to use a word. And so that's what God has done. He has chosen to reveal himself and to give the last word of what God is like by sending Jesus. Now, I was this week doing some rather heavy theological study, and so I got out my Jesus Storybook Bible. And this is, this is the Bible that next Sunday I will read the, the Christmas story to, to our children. And if you don't have one of these, you need one. I don't care how old you are. Uh, you may remember we had uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones and Ellie Holcomb here. And uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones is the one that wrote this. And... What she does is she, you know, the subtitle is Every Story Whispers His Name. And so what she does going through all of the Scripture is uh, points out how this is pointing to Jesus. Now, a couple of years ago, we we went through Jonah here. This is uh, what she says about the end of the book of Jonah. And uh, she's talking about when... Uh, the people repented, and so on. She said this, The people of Nineveh listened to Jonah, and they started loving God. They learned to do what God said to stop running away from him, just like Jonah. Many years later, God was going to send another messenger with the same wonderful message. Like Jonah, he would spend three days in utter darkness, But this messenger would be God's own son. He would be called the Word because he himself would be God's message. God's message translated into our own language. Everything God wanted to say to the world in a person. 
That's the idea of Jesus being the Word. It is God explaining Himself to us in a way that we can understand. Well, John goes on. When did uh, this one come into being? When was the Word born? Uh, that's answered uh, in the first couple of verses. In the beginning, or verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Now, that that first verse is a clear reference to the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when, when they would hear that phrase, they would hear, in the beginning, and then they would see this referring to Jesus. So Jesus wasn't born. He was there in the beginning. He was not created, as we'll see in a minute. He was already there when creation began. It says, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, just a, a little side note here, but this supports the doctrine of the, the Trinity. One God in three persons. This is such an important verse in, in the Bible that this is a verse that cults have decided to distort. Let, let me give you just one example. Jehovah's Witnesses have their own translation of the Bible. It is not accepted by the church throughout the world, only by uh, their particular uh, group. And here's, it's called the New World Translation. So if you see one of those laying around your doctor's office, um, take it home and don't read it, okay? (laughs) Actually, you can read it. I trust you. But here's what you would see. In John 1, 1, instead of saying the Word was God, it says the Word was a God. Now, I get it. That's just one little bitty word. What's the difference? Well, in theology... A word is the difference between truth and heresy. And that's the case here. Here's their point. They're saying that Jesus was not uniquely God. He was just a God. Among others. And some cults would say, He became a God. So that's their point, but that wasn't new with them. That goes way back to a heretic named Arius. But that's the normal MO of cults is what they will do is they will attack the nature of Jesus. And so if they uh, attack the nature of Jesus, this this verse we see is, is important in terms of us understanding and in case you're, you're a little fuzzy on this, remember back to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Here's what I want you to notice. It doesn't say the flesh became a God. It says God took on flesh. The exact opposite of what the cults would say about Jesus. So if he's not a God, what, what John is doing is proclaiming the absolute deity of Jesus Christ. He is God, and that's how he begins this gospel. If he's not, if he is not God, then none of the rest of this chapter matters. Nothing in that gospel matters. In fact, you can throw out the scripture itself. That's how important this doctrine is. But if he is God, then this gospel can only be ignored at the peril of one's soul. So John goes on with the implications. Jesus, who is God, is also, verse 3, the creator. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This further attests to his uh, deity. He's eternal. The one who creates all things cannot be created. Go back to our philosophers. That would be an impossibility. If you create all things, then you yourself cannot be created. So, he's called the creator. Why is that brought out right here? Well, it's because of what he is coming to do. He's actually created the universe, but he's coming in taking on flesh, and he's going to, in essence, create new life. Ultimately, he will create a new heaven and a new earth. He will create a new people, a new kingdom. And so in John 1, we see that this promise of, of what is coming is, is given to us. And then, verse 4, it talks about life and light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, depending on who you talk to, there are differences in uh, what the, the theme of this book would be if you're going to boil it down into one word. But there's not a lot of uh, debate over uh, what the purpose of the book is uh, because people uh, point to John 20, verse 30 and 31. You want to mark that. It'll be a while before we get there. John 20, verse 30 and 31 John 20, verse 30 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there's the purpose right there. That you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So some would say, well, the theme is believe. Others would say the the theme is life. And I'm going to waffle on this because I'm good with both of those. Belief and life. We will be hitting that theme over and over again. And you can't really separate them. The purpose of believing in Jesus Christ is to have eternal life. There is no eternal life without believing in Jesus Christ. So in chapter 1, John takes us to the idea of the world being in darkness. Now that's not new. We've sung about it today. In Isaiah chapter 60, it says this. I'll just read it to you, but you can look it up sometime. Isaiah 60, looking forward to the Messiah coming. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, listen to this, the darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you. And his glory will be seen upon you. All nations shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. When I was a pastor in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, one of the churches I was at there had a a lot of farmers and, and miners. And most of the farmers were also coal miners. Deep mines, uh, um, not surface-type strip mines. And uh, one Sunday, several of the miners came to me after, after worship and said, hey, uh, our mine's not working. Would you like to go down in it this afternoon? Now, at that time, I wasn't as claustrophobic as I am now, and I thought I may never have another opportunity And so I said, absolutely. So uh, we went to their mine, and sure enough, it it wasn't working. We went into the the room where they dress, and uh, I put on coveralls, and uh, uh, they gave me the helmet with the light on it. And uh, yeah, I went, yeah, it's on. Okay, all right. Um, And so we... You know, they told me some safety things and so on. We got on the elevator and we went down and down and down. I, I really don't know how far down we were, but it was deep under the ground. We got off and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being real careful. Uh, they're showing me some of the kind of work they they do and the kind of equipment they use and so on. And then, then one of them said, hey, let's turn off our lights. I thought to myself, okay, here's where it happens. Um, <laughs> these guys had this all planned and, we, you know, they gave me a weak battery and they're going to they're gonna be gone and they're going to leave me and so on. So, 
Um, you know, I, I checked everything anyway. I, I let them know of my suspicions, and they said, no, we're, we wouldn't do that to you. So, um, so we stood there, and uh, of course, I kept my hand on the switch <laughs> and my other hand ready in case they pulled that hand away. <laughs> and uh, I, we all turned off our lights. And I, you know, we did this, and you couldn't, could not see anything. It was the purest and the deepest dark I had ever seen before and, or since. I've never seen that kind of dark. Then we turned our lights on, and I'm here today to tell the story. So obviously, <laughs> they didn't leave me down there, but... What would have happened if for some reason I was down in that mine and my light went out? How much hope would I have of getting out of that mine? None. Absolutely none. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take a step. I, I couldn't move. There was no point in moving because I couldn't tell where I was going. That's what the Scripture says is the plight of our world. Without hope. In such deep darkness that there is nothing that those in the world can do what it's going to take is a light to come in to this world. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It has not overcome it because it cannot overcome it. Our hope is that there is no darkness so thick that the light of Jesus Christ cannot overcome it. Instead, the light overcomes the darkness. He who is the light is Jesus Christ, and He is our hope in this dark world.